Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now it is time for the sports news for this Super Bowl Sunday, February 13th, 2022. And your reader today is Carrie Lawless. As a reminder, Radio Eye is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. The first article today is a commentary by John Clay entitled, UK's Liam Cohen has reason to root for both Super Bowl teams. When it comes to Super Bowl 56 on Sunday between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams, Liam Cohen will be one of those rare viewers with split loyalties. I don't really know which way to go, Kentucky football's offensive coordinator said this week. I imagine I'll be happy for whoever gets it done. After all, the two head coaches are his guys, both Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams and Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals. Before the 2018 season, McVay hired Cohen as an assistant wide receivers coach to replace Taylor, who had been promoted to quarterback's coach. The three, McVay, Taylor, and Cohen, spent a Super Bowl season together with the Rams before Taylor was named head coach of the Bengals in 2019. I probably stay in touch with Zach as much, if not more, than a lot of those guys, said Cohen, who became the Rams' assistant quarterback's coach in 2020 before being hired as UK's offensive coordinator in 2021. Obviously, now that we're here and he's in Cincinnati, we spoke the Monday after the AFC title game. He's a great dude and an awesome, awesome coach. In fact, Taylor has another Kentucky connection. He played collegiately two seasons with UK defensive coordinator Brad White at Wake Forest. Brad White was my host on my Wake Forest recruiting trip, Taylor said last week, before transferring to a junior college and then Nebraska. How would Cohen describe the 38-year-old Taylor, who in three seasons has guided the Bengals from a two-win team in 2019 to the AFC title in 2021? He is probably the most patient coach I've ever been around, Cohen said. It's different from Sean and probably even myself in some ways, maybe a little bit more type A on our end. Zach is not. Zach is extremely detailed, but also patient and maybe a little slower spoken at times. He really talks through things and thinks through things before he responds to them. I never heard Zach Taylor raise his voice in a year of coaching with him. Never, ever. The NFL is not really a raise-your-voice league anyway, but I never saw Zach rattled, never saw him panic. He was always consistent, always the same, whether good day, bad day, good game, bad game. That's where I feel like you see his character show up in the Bengals' play. Meanwhile, Sean is Sean, the same 36-year-old bundle of energy who was named an NFL head coach at age 30 and had the Rams in the Super Bowl at age 33. Then again, McVay is not quite the same. This is a different Rams team than the one that lost to the Patriots 13-3 in Super Bowl 53. New quarterback, new receivers, a defense. Sean is elite, Cohen said. No matter where he's at, no matter what he's doing, 
I think he needed a little bit of a change and some guys to come in to just make a different impact. The quarterback obviously helps. Matthew Stafford is unbelievable. As good as Jared Goff was for us, Matthew is an elite guy. I think that's really helped. Sean is constantly evolving. You've seen that with his gun run this year, his shotgun runs, being a little bit more multiple within the run game. He's going to listen. Matthew Stafford brings a few concepts, and he's going to listen and implement them. In fact, to Cohen, one of the more intriguing aspects of Sunday's matchup is the different ways in which the two teams were built. You see two organizations use completely opposite structures to get where they are, Cohen said. The Cincinnati Bagels have relied on their star power from draft picks. The Rams haven't had a first-round draft pick in years. They've used trades. They've used free agency. They've used blockbuster deals. I think it's a real testament of the organization sticking to that plan. So on the one hand, Cohen said, the scary thing about this game is that Cincinnati doesn't care. And they've proven and they've shown that they can play from behind and they don't panic. They've beaten teams that on paper are better than them. For them to beat Kansas City twice in a four-week span is pretty impressive. On the other hand, I'd really like to see Los Angeles finish it because I was on that staff that didn't get it done, he said. I think Sean is extremely deserving. For Sean and for the Rams organization to be in their second Super Bowl in Sean's five-year tenure, I think is pretty impressive. It'll be a great game to watch. Cohen had made plans to attend Sunday's game in Los Angeles, but he changed his mind. I went to the Tampa Rams playoff game, and I'm in person watching the game, and I just can't watch, he said. It's hard for me to watch it in person. Instead, he'll be watching with his family at his home in Lexington, probably with some friends and fellow UK coaches, and what will his trained eye be watching? Zach has got his own wrinkle on the system, and Sean is the one who taught it to us, Cohen said. It'll be interesting to see how Zach attacks this defensive structure and how he goes after them. It'll be really, really cool to see these guys match up. And according to Cohen, whichever, teams win, whichever team wins, it'll be awesome. The next article is another commentary by Jeremy Chisenhall from the Lexington Herald Leader. It's entitled, Bengals Super Bowl Journey is the Ultimate Pleasant Surprise. Editor's note, Jeremy Chisenhall covers criminal justice and breaking news for the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. He joined the paper in 2020, is originally from Erlanger, Kentucky, and has been waiting his whole life for the Cincinnati Bengals to achieve relevance. The Cincinnati Bengals were never supposed to be this good. If you tuned into any national sports talk show for your dose of NFL banter over the past few years, you'd likely have reached that conclusion. The franchise was, and long has been, a failure, a joke. They've long been referred to as the Bungles for a reason. As a 23-year-old Bengals lifer who jubilantly watched Cincinnati make five straight playoff appearances in the 2010s, only to watch them lose in the first round all five years, I began to agree with those who said the team was a disaster. For my whole life, the Bengals haven't been taken seriously. They dwelled in the cellar of the AFC North with the Cleveland Browns year after year. The team attempted to punch up and contend with the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers, but in reality, those two franchises have overlooked the Bengals and focused on the bigger fish in the pond. As Cleveland seemed to get itself together, assembling star talents like Jarvis Landry, Miles Garrett, Odell Beckham Jr., and drafting Baker Mayfield, 
who seemed as though he'd be the franchise quarterback, it seemed like the entire AFC North was going to leave the Bengals behind. The Bengals were expected to be the only team in the division without a shot at the playoffs this year. After the first week of the playoffs, they were the only ones left. It's easy to see why myself, other Bengals fans, and even outsiders would have expected little from this team. The Bengals' pass has left fans with scarred memories that will never heal. Former quarterback Carson Palmer seemed as though he could be what Joe Burrow is now, the franchise's savior. But a near-career-ending knee injury during his first playoff game in 2005 dashed those hopes, and he ultimately never won a single playoff game with the Bengals. The streak of failed playoff appearances from the 2011 season through the 2015 season only served to worsen the damage. How can an NFL team put together half a decade of nearly unrivaled regular season success and have absolutely nothing to show for it in the end? That era of Bengals football could have been, and probably should have been, a golden age for the franchise. But five failed attempts at a playoff run led to the end of said era. Starting quarterback Andy Dalton, star wide receiver A.J. Green, and other standouts like defensive linemen Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins all departed within a couple years. The ride was also over for longtime head coach Marvin Lewis, who made seven playoff appearances and amassed zero wins in those appearances. At that point in the history of my favorite sports franchise, I'd come to accept the Bengals for what they were, lovable losers at best. I still wore the team gear and watched the games religiously, either from inside Paul Brown Stadium or from my childhood home just across the Ohio River in northern Kentucky, but I never expected anything. The Bengals' history was, has very few points which fans of other NFL teams would find remarkable. They made two Super Bowls prior to this one. They didn't win either of them. They hadn't won a playoff game in 31 years prior to this season. Coming upon the 2021-22 season, I thought the Bengals' best-case scenario this year with seven wins in the regular season. Anything more would have shown promise that a long-haul rebuild was on the right track. I've never been so happy to be wrong. The Bengals were not setting up for a long-haul rebuild. They were setting up to win the whole thing as soon as possible. And they just might do it, to the shock, dismay, and joy of myself and nearly every other Bengals fan in America. It was a bounce back that occurred at record pace and required fortunate timing just as much as skill. The 2021-22 Bengals have changed everything we used to know about the franchise, and they've rejuvenated a city that cares deeply about its football team, no matter, no matter how bad the team may have been before. Cincinnati was begging for a pro sports team to truly be proud of. It finally has one. The new Bengals, head coach Zach Taylor, franchise quarterback Joe Burrow, superstar receiver Jamar Chase, and the whole rest of the Super Bowl-bound bunch do not care at all about the Bengals' past stumbles and fumbles. The team's new stars have plans to be great, and it's obvious they have plans to carry the Bengals to new heights in the process. You can set aside the possibility that the Bengals may just win a Super Bowl in the same season which they were expected to be one of the NFL's worst teams. The mere fact that this Bengals team actually has aspirations to go beyond the first round of the playoffs is enough to rekindle a level of joy in Bengals fans that hasn't been felt in a long time, if ever. The Bengals are no longer the whipping boys of the AFC North, or the NFL at all for that matter. They've made noise this year, and they've primed to make noise for years to come. 
every indication points to upcoming sustained success rather than a one-year Cinderella run to the big game. Cincinnati's 2021-22 team is the youngest to make a Super Bowl in the past 40 years based on rankings that place greater weight on the ages of a team's most valuable players, according to 538. It shouldn't be possible for Cincinnati's offense to be this good, with most of the unit stars being so young. Burrow is quarterbacking a Super Bowl team in his first full year in the NFL. Chase had statistically one of the greatest seasons ever by a rookie wide receiver. T. Higgins, playing in just his second NFL season, showed he could be the best wide receiver on most NFL teams. On top of how good they already are, there's so much room for improvement. Cincinnati is projected to have the largest amount of salary cap space among any team that made the playoffs this year. The team has just one glaring weakness, its offensive line, and a whole lot of money to fix it. With any luck, the Bengals are here to stay. And for this fan of a franchise that needed 31 years to get a playoff win, I couldn't be happier about it. It's obvious that hopes are high for the Bengals in the Super Bowl, but this season they've already smashed every expectation and changed the franchise's entire narrative in the process. They were never supposed to be this good. My hope is that the Bengals win their first ever Super Bowl on Sunday. I'll likely be watching the whole game on pins and needles, but just getting this far has been the experience of a lifetime for this lifelong pessimistic Bengals fan. The next article is from the Louisville Courier-Journal. It's entitled, Taylor, You've Got to Love Ball, by Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer. With seven seconds left in week 16 of the 2019 season, Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver Tyler Boyd was crawling down on the field and struggling to get back to his feet. The Bengals were trailing the Miami Dolphins by eight points, but former Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton was leading the game-tying drive. Boyd, who finished that game with nine catches for 128 yards, was injured on one of the final plays of regulation, but he hobbled to the line of scrimmage to avoid a 10-second runoff that would have ended the game. For head coach Zach Taylor, the 2019 season was about identifying which pieces he could rely on when the Bengals were ready for the big stage. On a roster that couldn't win more than two games, the Bengals were looking for a few long-term pieces who could fit Taylor's explosive offense and also set the tone he was looking for in the locker room. Taylor's first Bengal team gave 1,605 combined snaps to Auden Tate, Alex Erickson, Damian Willis, and Stanley Morgan Jr. as wide receivers playing starting roles. Out of necessity, the Bengals needed to use a two-tight-end system that went against what Taylor's ideal offense looked like. Bobby Hart, Cordy Glenn, and Andre Smith were the offensive tackles. John Miller, Michael Jordan, John Jerry, and Alex Redmond played offensive guard. Three years later, most of those players are out of the NFL. The Bengals completely rebuilt their offense with a vision of pairing concepts from Joe Burrow's LSU offense with concepts from the Los Angeles Rams offense. Here's how the Bengals' Super Bowl offense was built. Before Taylor even coached the game in Cincinnati, he identified tight end C.J. Uzoma, Boyd, and left tackle Jonah Williams as the first players he wanted to build an offense around. Uzoma had always flown under the radar in a crowded tight end room, but Taylor was the first coach who made him the Bengals' starting tight end. Before the season, the Bengals gave Uzoma a three-year deal worth $18 million. 
His athletic style, versatility in the run game, and strong hands as a receiving threat immediately made an impact on the new coaching staff. Uzoma replaced Tyler Eifert as the dynamic receiving threat over the middle of the field who can take advantage of matchups against slower linebackers and smaller safeties. Boyd, who had 1,028 receiving yards in 2018, was the next move. He signed a contract extension at the start of training camp in 2019, and this was the first sign of how greatly the Bengals would value the wide receiver position. At the time, the Bengals had A.J. Green, former first-round pick John Ross III, and the reliable Auden Tate under contract. By extending Boyd, the Bengals showed that they were willing to allocate more resources to the wide receiver position than most teams. By the start of the 2020 season, the Bengals were spending $30.9 million on wide receivers, which was the third highest total in the league. The Bengals extended Boyd one year before they contractually needed to because he was a perfect fit for Taylor's offense. Even though he was overshadowed by Green at the time, Boyd had the separation skills and the athleticism to run a wide variety of routes. In 2019, the Bengals also found their left tackle and center of the future. Taylor's first draft pick was Williams, and Williams was on track to be the week one starter before a season-ending injury. In the pre-draft process, Williams stressed his athletic playing style and his meticulous preparation, which were the exact skills the Bengals were looking for in a tackle. Center Trey Hopkins beat out former first-round pick Billy Price in training camp. Hopkins bounced between being a backup and a starter in 2017 and 2018. As a full-time starter in 2019, Hopkins earned a three-year contract extension. Taylor has called him the guy that makes things go mentally, and Hopkins' quick feet have created space in the middle of the pocket. Leading up to the 2020 NFL Draft, there was never a moment when it didn't look like Burrow would be the Bengals' top pick. The Bengals signed free agents that offseason who were looking forward to playing with Burrow, and Burrow spent a lot of the pre-draft process with Bengals' defensive end, Sam Hubbard. Aside from the quarterback, the Bengals added two of the most important pieces in making Burrow's success possible. In the second round of the 2020 NFL Draft, Bengals' offensive coordinator Brian Callahan said he had anticipated that the Bengals would add another receiver, even though they were, there were offensive linemen and linebackers on the board, and even though the Bengals already had Boyd and Green. The Bengals saw wide receiver T. Higgins as a potential number one receiver. Taylor has a saying that it's harder than you'd expect to find receivers who are physical and can consistently catch the ball. Those skills, plus Higgins' championship experience and leadership at Clemson, separated Higgins from other second-round receivers like Denzel Mims, LaVisca Chenault, and Michael Pittman. The final piece of the 2020 offseason was extending running back Joe Mixon. It was a pivot point for Taylor's vision for the offense. Taylor believes so strongly in Mixon's potential that he eventually redesigned the entire run game around Mixon's strengths. This season, Mixon is having a career year due to his cutting skills, his opportunity to play in a wide zone offense, and his significant strides as a receiving threat. Even though the Bengals' offense starts with their passing game, Taylor believed in the value of the run game. Mixon rewarded that faith this season by wearing down defensive linemen creating more chances for the deep passing game, and closing games by getting first downs down the stretch. 
The theme of Taylor's tenure with the Bengals has been adding wide receivers when it wasn't absolutely necessary. When the Bengals added Boyd and Higgins in 2019 and 2020, respectively, they had greater needs on the roster but made adding a wide receiver the greatest priority. The clearest example of this vision was drafting wide receiver Jamar Chase over offensive tackle Panay Sewell in the 2021 NFL Draft. If that decision didn't pay off and turn the Bengals into one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL, then none of the Bengals' success this season would have taken place. Taylor and the Bengals' front office identified Chase as a deep threat, a dynamic route runner, and a receiver who can create yards after the catch. Those skills brought more to the offense than any lineman could have. The Bengals made a few other moves during the 2021 offseason to fill in the gaps. They made an all-out recruiting push for right tackle Riley Rice with a dinner hosted by Taylor and Burrow. Rice has been out since December with an ankle injury, but the Bengals filled his spot with Isaiah Prince. He joined the team down the stretch as a waiver claim in December 2019 and opted out in 2020, so he was an unknown entering this year's training camp. During camp, Prince was the most consistent backup offensive lineman in one-on-one -on -one pass rush drills versus the defensive line. He outplayed offensive tackle Fred Johnson, and Prince grew from a training camp depth piece into the first offensive tackle off the bench. Left guard Quinton Spain, who initially joined the Bengals as a practice squad free agent in the middle of the 2020 season, was the other notable free agent the Bengals added to the offensive line. He played well enough down the stretch of last season to earn a starting opportunity somewhere in the NFL this year. After the 2020 season ended, Spain wasn't even interested in hitting the free agent market. He approached the Bengals coaches and told them how badly he wanted to return for the 2021 season. I don't care what they offer me or whatever, Spain said about the process. He returned on a one-year deal that was well below market value for a starting offensive guard. Spain was promised a starting spot, wasn't promised a starting spot either, and he had to beat out Jackson Carmen and Xavier Suafilo for the left guard position. Spain won the job in training camp, solidifying the final starting spot on the Bengals' 53-man roster. You've got to love ball, Taylor said. That's the most important thing you want. Guys who love football because it's a grind. We had a draft class where almost every guy was a captain on their college team. So I think those are just indicators of the process that we go through, and we ended up finding the guys we want. Next from the Courier-Journal is an Olympics roundup. U.S. Ice Dance teams third and fourth after rhythm portion. Two U.S. Ice Dance teams are in medal contention after the first half of the event Saturday. Madison Hubble and Zachary Donahue placed third in the rhythm dance portion of the event with a score of 87.13 while skating to a compilation of music from Janet Jackson. Madison Chalk and Evan Bates, the reigning national champions, are in fourth, but trailing their compatriots by almost three full points at 84.14. Gabriela Papadakis and Guillaume Cizeron of France are in first after turning in a world record rhythm dance score of 90.83. And Victoria Sinitsina and Nikita Katsalapov of Russia are in line for the silver. Competition continues Monday with the free dance. Next, American Katie Ulander, who made her mark on the world stage in skeleton for nearly two decades, finished sixth in what is almost certainly her last Olympics. A two-time World Cup Series champion who also won the 2012 World Championships, Ulander had a strong performance at the Beijing Games. 
It just wasn't quite good enough to earn a spot on the podium in her fifth appearance at the Olympics. Yolander did not make any major mistakes Saturday in the final two runs of the women's skeleton. She just did not have quite enough speed to make up the necessary ground to get in contention. Starting the day in eighth place, she got around the track at Yanking Sliding Center in a personal best of 1 minute 2.15 seconds for her third run, but did not make up much time on the leaders. Yolander posted the fifth best time of the competition on her fourth run to solidify sixth. An Olympic medal is the only thing Yulander lacks in her decorated skeleton career. She came extremely close in 2014 and was temporarily awarded the bronze when Russian third-place finisher Elena Nikitina was implicated in the widespread Russian doping scandal surrounding the Sochi Games. The Court of Arbitration for Sport overturned the decision, ruling there was not enough evidence to ban Nikitina and strip her of the bronze medal. Germany's Hanna Nice won the gold medal on Saturday by 0.62 seconds over Australia's Jacqueline Maricott. Kimberly Boss of the Netherlands took the bronze medal. Next, Russian figure skater Kamila Vilieva to appear in court. The Court of Arbitration for Sport announced Saturday that it has set a time and date for the hearing on Russian figure skater Kamila Vilieva's case. CAS said it has scheduled the hearing for 8.30 p.m. on Sunday with the expectation that it will issue a ruling at some point Monday. Valieyev, 15, tested positive for a banned heart medication that can improve endurance and blood flow. She was informed of the positive test, which was obtained December 25th earlier this week. The Russian Anti-Doping Agency initially suspended Valieva, but then lifted that suspension after she appealed, prompting the International Olympic Committee, among other governing bodies, to seek a ruling from CAS on the issue. Next, Stoltz finishes 13th in 500 meter in Olympic debut. In his Olympic debut, Jordan Stoltz finished 13th in the men's 500 meters. The 17-year-old from Kowalskum, Wisconsin, the youngest skater in the race, finished in 34.85 seconds. Skating in the fifth pair, he was the fastest through 10 skaters, but was quickly surpassed by China's Gao Tingyu, who finished in an Olympic record time of 34.32 and Damian Zurich, 34.73 of Poland, skating in the seventh pair. Racing on home ice at the National Speed Skating Oval, Gao's time would be the fastest of the day, earning him Olympic gold to go along with the bronze he won in the, at this distance in 2018. South Korea's Min Kyu Cha won silver in 34.39, and Japan's Wataru Morishige took the bronze in 34.49. Next, Team USA wins gold again in snowboard cross. American Lindsay Jacobellis is golden again. Three days after winning the women's individual event at the Beijing Olympics, she paired with partner Nick Baumgartner to win snowboard cross mixed team event debut Saturday. The oldest pair in the competition used their experience on the course to win the event. On the first leg in the final, Baumgartner gave Jacobellis a .04 second advantage going into the last leg. After Jacobellis moved from third to second in her final heat, a crash behind her left it down to a race with Italy's Michaela Moyoli, who won women's individual gold in the 2018 Olympics. Jacobellis took the lead on the late curve and held on to cross the line first. The medal is the first for Baumgartner, 40, in his fourth games, Jacob Ellis, 36, now has three Olympic medals. 
She won silver in Torino in 2006. This wraps it up for the sports news from the Lexington Herald-Leader and the Louisville Courier-Journal for this Super Bowl Sunday, February 13th, 2022. Your reader for today has been Carrie Lawless. Thank you for listening. And now please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio Eye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.